This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you gotta grow up sometime. young and hip at age 41 um as we i think have discussed already i'm already having hot flashes so i am decidedly old but um because i love facebook because they like promote white supremacy so i'm like well bye yeah that's not it's not great it's not great and i would assume that at this point you can promote stuff a lot better using other forms yeah i don't think facebook ever worked that well for selling books anyway that's a hot tip for all you authors out there anyway We're going to get right into it because I forgot a critical piece of recording equipment this morning and had to run back to my house to get it, so uh, very limited preamble. (laughs) Yeah. Hi, everyone. Hi. This has got to grow up sometime, a Swans Crossing retrospective, and I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler-Jaffrey. And we just watched... Whoa. We just watched episode 14 of Swans Crossing, and what an episode it was. This, This is one of the... Pivotal episodes in the fandom's minds, collective, conscious, whatever, you know. Is, uh, I, I'm guessing it is that way because this is the only time in this little dream sequence that they get any satisfaction or resolution on I think so. that storyline. That's what I'm guessing. But we'll get into it. We'll get there. Uh, we're going to start with your predictions from last episode. Gosh. Which is that, first of all, we never see a baseball practice because we couldn't fit it into the studio. So that far, so good. That's true. <laughs> you figured we would focus more on the glory JT and Neil triangle, post-practice but pre-game, with Neil trying to fit in some work. That's pretty accurate. Yeah, there wasn't much triangle happening, but there was a lot more JT and Neil. Yes. Uh, You predicted we would have more Mila and lots of conversations about the big game. Mila would be interested because it's a normal kid thing to do. Yep. There was no Mila. (laughs) No Mila whatsoever. There were lots of conversations about the big game, though. Yes, just not involving Mila. You predicted less Barrick, or if there is more, he would be on a phone call and we would discover he's an FBI agent. Gotcha. Did not happen. No. Um, You predicted something would happen with Saja, who knows what. Nothing happened with Saja. No. no. <laughs> Literally did not appear. It. Like, here's the thing. The, you gotta admit, there is no way I could have predicted the crazy hot fever dream that was this episode. I know. And I was so delighted last week while you were making all these predictions. I was like, Nathan has no idea what's coming for him. Oh my gosh. You predicted that we would have one scene with Jimmy where he would be bummed that he can't be in the game. I'm going to give you that. There were lots of Jimmy scenes and he was bummed in all of them. Yep, yep. Jimmy's a real fucking dragon this morning. Oh my gosh, he's so, like, he is so depressed. I think he was supposed to be like James Dean, like the the cranky rebel youth, but I don't know, Jimmy. Well, it's not working for him. He's just an angry wizard. (laughs) Yeah. First off, I cannot overstate how much this, the, the whole show's budget, their entire production budget, went into this one episode because of the music rights. Like, they go so heavy on the pop music. They really do. I mean, it cost a small fortune. We open in the cafe with the only employee who's not jazz, <laughs> bringing more of her floats, which are clearly just shakes, 
to some patrons, one of whom is our favorite background guy, Phil. Yay, Phil! Yay, Phil! And all the while, the intro to Even Better Than the Real Thing by U2 is playing. Yeah, we cut over to Jimmy, who is crinkling up his straw papers into what are later referred to as snakes. Yes. Wait, did you never make snakes out of straw papers? I was homeschooled. You gotta remember that. I didn't, I mean, yes, I have folded up straw papers, (laughs) but they were never referred to as snakes because Uh, I didn't go to real school. Yeah. (laughs) My wife likes to remind me. (laughs) Go to real school. I mean, it's true. (laughs) Um, Jimmy over there making his paper paper snakes. The intro riff to this incredibly popular song from 1992 builds... And Bono begins to moan in the background just as Callie comes swaggering in, looking like a million bucks, and she takes off her shades. And my favorite part about this is that Jimmy turns and chucks one of these snakes at her without looking. Like, doesn't even have time to realize who it is that he's throwing one of these little paper balls at. And misses her completely. Like, (laughs) completely not even close. Jimmy can't do anything right. And uh, Callie smolderingly says... If at first you don't succeed, chuck it, right? And then the first of several major musical shifts happens where it changes from this glorious sort of like pounding U2 rock thing to like more of a sitcom 90s riff a a la Seinfeld. It's kind of a honk. It's, it's like so, wah, 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 wah. It's so great. <laughs> and then... The music changes again into whatever weird ballad Neil is listening oh. to sitting by the pool, which Listeners. I'm sure you know what it is. Whatever. Oh, there's a plane. Whatever weird ballad Neil is listening to, Nathan, you are so lucky that you were homeschooled because you missed that part of 1992 through 1994 where no one could escape the song November Rain by Guns N' Roses. And it happens that Neil is chilling poolside with his Walkman vibing to November Rain. Like, my God. uh, This this song was so ubiquitous during this time that Paul and his brothers would prank the entire town of Edmonds, Washington by calling all the local radio stations and requesting November Rain over and over again, kind of ironically, because they knew the radio stations were going to play it at least once an hour anyway. Like, we could not... (laughs) We couldn't escape this song during this time. And I just feel like Neil's not a November Rain guy. He strikes me as more of a talking heads type of dude. It's just a weird choice for him. Yeah. I don't think he's actually listening to anything in his headphones. This was obviously put in later. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I did a little bit of math. Um, I looked up what average costs were to license songs in 1992. The production budget has dropped at least $50,000 in 1992 money on the first 37 seconds of this episode alone which translates to just under $95,000 in today's value. Holy cats. Yeah, and um, we haven't even gotten started yet with the music, folks. Yeah, I do want to point out that in this episode, we also see more of the Swans Club than we ever have before, particularly the poolside area. We're going to get to that a little later, but look forward to it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Also, I noted that Neil had earbuds in, which most people did not get to use until like the early 2000s because they were a rich people thing. Ah. Yeah, so the good good use of rich people things, like authentic rich people things by the by by the production crew there, like um, high heeled tennis shoes, which yes. we're going to talk about later. We're also going to talk about high heeled tennis shoes for sure. 
Uh, the rest of us, back in, in those days, had to use kind of a flexible metal headband thing that held little foam-covered discs over your ears. Yeah. So um, it sucked. Camera pans back to reveal that Neil is lounging so hard. He's got one knee up on his Lido chair, an expression of pure bliss as Axl Rose screams into his ears. He's also in his baseball uniform, <laughs> which is wonderful to me, largely because it did feel like we have a bunch of scenes to film today. We cannot afford to take time to change Neil's clothes. Right. But, which is why he's wearing his baseball uniform in like a very inappropriate place. Like it doesn't feel like Swan's Club <laughs> attire. It really doesn't. JT shows up wearing considerably less of his uniform uh, and pulls him out of his axle revelry. And it's clear that Neil told JT to meet him at the pool so they could talk. They can't talk in their homes because Neil can't be sure their homes have not been infiltrated. Yes, bugged. He's worried that the homes are bugged. <laughs> Seriously, see what I mean? This is why Neil is more of a talking heads guy, not, not a Guns N' Roses guy. Yeah. Only talking heads people think their homes have been bugged. So Neil reveals that he has received a letter from the Rodavian Institute. And uh, it's just a letter confirming receipt of their own letter from Professor Van and confirming that they are going to test his equation. That's it. You have to wonder if they could have just tested his equation and then written back. Yeah, because it sure seems to happen fast later. Right? <laughs> later in the episode. So JT's pissed that he got dragged all over town for this lame news. Basically tells Neil he's a dork and goes off to baseball practice. Theoretically. <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> We cut to the Rodavians. I assume these are the Rodavians. Well, it's the Baldies. I right. mean, they're somebody. Are they in Rodavia? I don't, I don't know. know. Uh, their computer screen is blinking, <laughs> intercept in progress, which is amazing to me. They're, they're talking about how amazing it is that Professor Van gets as much mail as he gets, given that there's no record of him in Swan's Crossing. They can apparently intercept his mail, and he has very interesting pen pals. This is all information that we get from the Rodavians. However, are they intercepting his physical mail? His email? What is happening? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. I actually wrote in my notes, this all happened because the plot needed it to happen. Like, it just... <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And then, friends, it is the moment. <laughs> the moment... The song, the scene that has lodged forever in the psyches of people who are now in their 40s. The moment so many of you have been waiting for us to discuss. This scene is a cultural touchstone for, <laughs> no, people, not. for people who were in middle school in the 90s and uh, enjoyed soap operas. Okay, maybe that. <laughs> the synth poppy intro to Tears for Fear's greatest hit, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, sparkles into our ears as Sydney. <laughs> Dressed all in white, but with a Mayan Biala cat crowned by way too many sunflowers, walks slowly toward the doors of Swan's soda shop. Which magically open for her. Yes, they open by themselves. <laughs> and the camera follows Sydney inside. Garrett is sitting at the counter, just like gaping at her. <laughs> just <laughs> mouth open. She pauses in the vestibule. She slowly turns dramatically to face the camera. Then she spins... She takes a deep breath and says, this is it. Then, for no apparent reason, she does it again. Yeah. She does it two times. I almost wonder if, did, did the director tell her to do this a few times and they were just going to take the best take? And then they just kept two of them? <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope so. Nothing else makes sense. Oh my gosh. There's... I have to ask real quick before we get into this. Yeah. 
Is that hat the same hat that Gloria is wearing in the 4th of July episode? I don't, I think it's a different hat, but they look real similar. They look extremely similar. I to mean, the point where I was like, did they recycle that? I, they might have, but also everyone had that hat back then. That there was that. That was the girl hat of the time. <laughs> the girl hat of the time. <laughs> oh my gosh. So Sydney enters the cafe. She and Garrett stare at each other. The lyrics to this song are so, so perfect for these characters and their scenario. I honestly love this song. It's great, like unironically. Sydney glances suddenly to the side where her mother is lurking. <laughs> I love this moment. Just staring. The, it's been back and forth. The camera has gone back and forth between Sydney like three or four times at this point. And then suddenly Sydney looks to the left <laughs> and suddenly Muffy is there. <laughs> Like, so good. Feel, feel like you should have planted that a little earlier in this moment. Oh. But yeah, that's kind of your first clue that this is not real life. It's some kind of fantasy sequence for Sydney. And it plays out just like a ballet in a classic opera. By which I mean like it's storytelling through dance and movement with almost no dialogue. Yeah, that is true. It, I do I do have this note. Uh, suddenly her mother is there staring at her. Is this a fever dream? That is literally stream of consciousness what I was thinking at this scene play. This is a whole show is a fever dream, Nathan. Oh my gosh. Sydney holds her mother's gaze for a long moment, then she deliberately turns to face Garrett. And he rises slowly from his bar stool, and together they meet in the middle of the cafe and begin to slow dance awkwardly. We then realize While Muffy glares in the background. Yes. We then realize that basically the entire cast, including the coach and all the extras, are just watching them. Except, like, but especially the coach. Like, he is prominently featured on camera. He is invested in the outcome <laughs> of this moment. so awkward. It's so weird. Just as the song hits its bridge, there's a room where the light... That part. The whole cast begins to applaud... Pleased that the generational feud between the Booths and the Rutledges has been healed by young love. They all surround the dancing couple, and we cut to the title sequence. And it's beautiful. The people I want to I want to acknowledge are still clapping when we come back from the title sequence, and I like to think they've been clapping that whole time. They have, absolutely. Yeah. It's just been thunderous applause for like two straight minutes. Yeah. Callie is pictured on screen, and then, but I, like, up to this point, I've not seen any of the other main cast members. Like, I think that they're there because they're in later scenes. But this is the only moment that we actually see in this whole sequence other than Sydney and Garrett, another main <laughs> cast member. Yeah, the rest of them do show up eventually. But yeah, it's weird. Sydney says, I wish this would never end. And then Garrett says something. I, did you catch what he said? Nope. I think he said, I'm dizzy, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Sydney asks if he's happy and he says, I'm so proud of you. And then we get Muffy interrupting. And the beautiful, ominous synth music comes in. God, the music in this episode is so good. Whoever whoever was doing the music, kudos to you. So good. Uh, Sydney turns around and says, Mother, like she didn't know Muffy was there. Like she hadn't spent two minutes staring at her 35 seconds ago. So Muffy demands to know what is the meaning of this. Sydney says she's congratulating Garrett for winning the game. And Muffy's like, you're making a spectacle of yourself and I won't stand for it. And then JT shows up, is real chummy with Garrett, compliments his performance in the game, and then the moment. Oh my god, here it comes. Garrett says the only reason he played so well at the game is because he's never been in love, love. before. 
Y'all, it's the first mention of love instead of just like. Oh my god, it's the biggest moment in the whole show. No wonder they blew almost $100,000 by today's money on this, this episode. Muffy storms over and says, You've never been in trouble like this before, and like physically wrenches them apart. And she grounds Sydney until school starts, and everyone in the whole cafe responds like she's just chopped off one of her hands. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> everyone is like... <gasps> horrifying oh my god there's this one moment where both garrett and jt are kind of in the background and they both have like both of their hands over their mouths like yeah. they have just witnessed somebody strangle a dog in front of them oh but also we have to before she grounds her for the whole summer she and and uh, muffy and sydney are having this like intense exchange and then right in the background just framed exactly between them is neil who's just staring at them with the most creepy intensity. <laughs> what are you doing, Neil? <laughs> anyway, uh, she's grounded for the whole summer. Yeah. Then Sydney explains the deal that she made with Garrett and that Muffy taught her to never go back on a deal. And then they <laughs> reconcile because obviously that makes sense. It's fine. They hug. <laughs> Muffy, Muffy looks at her and goes, this doesn't mean I'm going to stop hating Garrett's father. <laughs> Uh, but a deal is a deal. Yeah. I think that should be the title of the episode. <laughs> Maybe a deal is be. a deal. Um, Garrett comes over. <laughs> they share a group hug while everyone just applauds again. And yeah. there's a very ugly fake swan in the background. Oh, I didn't see that one. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Uh, I'm going to update the swan count real quick here. Uh, Nancy enters. And this is my favorite part. <laughs> because Nancy comes over, pulls pulls Sydney away from this tight hug with Garrett and her mom. And Sydney screams at her, Not now, Nancy! You've ruined everything! <laughs> <laughs> Which I really, I really feel like people should scream at Nancy more often. <laughs> Every time she opens her mouth, somebody should be like, Not now, Nancy! You've ruined everything! (laughs) Oh, God. So we get a camera fade, and it becomes clear that uh, we're sitting... We're in Sydney's bedroom. She's sitting there in front of her mirror, and Nancy has come in. Uh, while while Sydney is jamming to Tears for Fears on her boombox and fantasizing about the post-game ballet sequence. And and Nancy asks, what have I ruined? Is this some kind of new anti-wrinkle exercise? The weird obsession all of these girls have with wrinkles is so strange to me. No 14-year-old girl ever thought twice about wrinkles in the history of the world. I do not know why they're all so hung up on wrinkles on this show. Ah, Maybe it's a rich people thing. Maybe, maybe it, people maybe think it a is. lot about a lot about wrinkles. Probably. So back at the pool for no apparent reason. Right. Neil is chasing JT around, yakking about the science project. Which this scene drives me bananas. JT just like stormed out of the Swans Club like the last time we saw him in real life, and now they're back. And this is where we see the the whole pool area for the first time, which I'm very excited about because it looks like they have a little concessions area. Looks like they got like. Uh, you know, doors back into the... I I was legitimately convinced at one point that they had just created a corner of a pool for this <laughs> It kind set, of looks like it, right? Though. Yeah. Uh, and and now, now it, like, opens up and we actually see there's, there's like, pretty much a whole pool there and, like, it, it very much 
took me back to middle school and going to like the public pool and oh, yeah. like can can I collect enough change from the bottom of the pool to get myself something at the concession stand, <laughs> which I did a lot of. That's the main reason to learn how to dive. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so JT reminds him that he was uh, going to put science on the back burner until after the game, and then he shares that he called Coach Garami last night, so now we know the coach's name. Garami? Do you know what a Garami is, Nathan? I don't. A Garami is a kind of fish, which makes this the equivalent of the coach being named Coach Tuna, which is how I'm going to refer to him from now on. Coach Tuna. I love It's <laughs> way better than Garami. That's so weird. Uh, anyway, JT asks Coach Tuna who is going to pitch at the game, whether it's going to be him or Garrett. The coach has not decided yet. You'd think he would get his shit together because this is the day of the game. The, allegedly. Allegedly. No one is behaving like this is the day of the game. <laughs> so, um, but supposedly he was supposed to tell JT this news 15 minutes ago. For some reason, JT's still screwing around. So he cutely says to Neil, let me go, Buckyball. Two things. First, this is the first appearance of the nickname Buckyball, which we're going to get a lot more of. And second, the romance in this scene is killing me. (laughs) These two boys love each other so much, and I just want them to figure that out and kiss and be happy forever. Damn it. You want to take it from there? Oh, man. So we we jump back to the cafe, and there's some intense staring between Callie and Jimmy. Like, she's got a plate of fries. He's got a hot dog. But they're not looking at the fries and the hot dog. They're like, mad eye contact with each other. It is so good. And she's fiddling with some sort of, like, mechanical part. And that's it. Cut. Yeah. We Almost just, immediately. We get Stacy Mosley doing her signature smolder right right at Jimmy while she messes around with some part without looking at it. And then, <laughs> and then we cut over to Garrett and Glory having lunch with Coach Tuna. Yes. And Garrett is complaining about JT not showing. Apparently, they were going to have a pre, pre-practice or a pre-game meeting Ugh. at Swan's Cafe. So that coach could tell them who was pitching. And Glory is there for some reason. This is so needlessly complicated. Yeah. <laughs> so Co- the coach leaves to call JT's house, and Glory gets on Garrett's, Garrett's case about like digging JT in front of the in front of Coach. Coach does not go to make a phone call. He walks over to Jimmy and Callie's table and makes sure that Jimmy's gonna be there to support the team. Great. Good job, coach. You're doing a great job. So when he wanders back over to the table with Glory and Garrett, uh, Garrett's like, listen, I'll go find JT, and if he's going to be the starting pitcher, I'll just tell him for you so he can start getting warmed up. And then the coach is like, oh, I'm impressed with your team spirit, so now you're going to be the starting pitcher. And for some stupid reason, he gives Garrett the job of going to find JT to tell him that Garrett will be the starting pitcher. Yeah, my favorite bit about this, though, is that JT or Garrett goes, me? And the coach goes, you're the best. And Garrett's response is, that's all I know how to do, coach. <laughs> which, which is a way better catchphrase than, ooh, I love myself. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Should have gone with, that's all I know how to do, coach. <laughs> Glory gives Garrett a congratulatory hug, but then she sees JT walk in and more Doom music plays. Yeah. JT has, like, clocked what's going on. We cut to Sydney and Nancy picking out clothes, which is apparently one of Sydney's primary activities. It's <laughs> pretty much what, he's, what she's here, here for. Yeah. She's looking for her hat specifically. Can't find her hat anywhere. Nancy is kind of following her around, trying to figure out what her problem is lately because she's been missing a bunch of writing classes and stuff. So you kind of figure out in this conversation 
that the girls are doing both dressage and jumping. So they're involved in a thing called eventing in the horse world, which is basically an Olympic sport. So competitive eventers are like competing to qualify for the Olympic team, right? So they can compete on the global level. So I assume Sydney and Nancy are like gunning for a spot on the US equestrian team. Unfortunately, that potentially interesting side story never gets explored in detail on the show. <laughs> These two girls are like trying to get into the Olympics, but okay. <laughs> Whatever. Why not? I mean, she does bring up that it's uh, like Sydney's always talking about Mila, and like Mila's constantly like talking over everyone, and they hatch this plot where Nancy is going to try to put Mila in her place. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have any details on what is going to go down yet, but Nancy comes up with something dickish. Yeah. Which to mess up Mila's mojo. Which, frankly. I gotta trust Nancy to find the most cutting thing <laughs> to I do. Mean, she's your gal for that sort of thing. Uh, just as they come up with this plan, whatever it is, symbolically, Sydney finds her blossom hat and dons it like a crown, and she and Nancy side hug, affirming that they are both on the same team, that team being Team of Evil Schemers. And there's a weird conspiratorial giggle, and then a take to the camera. <laughs> Like, right at the very end, <laughs> Sydney looks right at the camera. You it's gotta, wonderful. You've got to have that take to the camera. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> at the cafe, Garrett gives the lamest high five ever to an extra. No, it is the predator handshake. <laughs> it's the predator handshake <laughs> between two skinny white kids. Ah, the 90s. <laughs> so bad. Oh, JT asks Coach Tuna why Garrett gets to be the opening pitcher. And the coach is like, don't let it throw you, man. But JT slouches on the bar stool while Glory comes up to talk to him. Meanwhile, Garrett is celebrating and tells the that he's going to get sodas for everyone, which is apparently like the child equivalent of ordering around at the bar. However, I just want to point out, Garrett, Garrett, come, come with me, Garrett. Your dad is having cash flow problems. This is not going to help. We really need to just tone down the unnecessary expenses, okay? That's how you solve cash flow problems. Okay, thanks, Garrett. You can go back now. <laughs> thanks for that investment advice yeah. from Nathan. Um, oh, also, in my notes, it says, JT uses science boy lingo to tell Glory that her brother is full of farts. <laughs> so that's fun. Callie and Jimmy, they're kind of talking about Garrett and the game. He has taken the bike part from her to work on. Oh, yeah. He's working on it one-handed at the table while she is, while they're having this conversation. Yeah, and Callie's kind of complaining about what a pain in the ass Barrick is as a boss. Remember, Jimmy has not yet met the new boss. So she kind of fills him in on some information about him. She says Barrick is in his early 20s. Yeah, he's young. Early 20s. Interesting. Done lots of stuff. This man is not in his early 20s, Callie. Get out. He is for sure not in his early 20s. The actor, Bill Shanks, was born in 1958, so he was 34 when this was filmed. And he looks like it. Oh, definitely. Uh, Bill Shanks, by the way, had a five-year occurring role on As the World Turns as Dr. Casey Peretti, a, a major figure at that time in the late 80s to early 90s. And then he went from that to Swan's Crossing. What happened, Bill? What happened? Um, huge career upgrade. <laughs> anyway, Callie talking about Barrick, she, she's she's using a fairly neutral term. Like, she's not fawning over him, but she's being pleasantly positive about him, too. But Jimmy is clearly, like, getting jealous. Yeah, there is a, there is a look. There is a definite look that he gives that I'm not sure if he's, like, intimidated or jealous or whatever it is. 
Yeah, but uh, he's pissed. Something's, yeah. something's not right in his wizard brain. Fortunately, <laughs> we cut over to Jimmy. Or to, we cut over to Glory and JT. <clears throat> Glory's trying to make him feel better. Gives him a hanky to get a smudge off of his face, which it doesn't. Yeah. The smudge remains the rest of the scene. Because whoever <laughs> that makeup artist was, was like, the smudge is not coming off. We're going to make sure that stays in place. Um, yeah, it's a little embroidered hanky with her initial G, as she helpfully points out. Right. <laughs> yes. And we get the glorious uh, JT Glory synth music. Oh, yeah. Oh, so beautiful. We do. He, uh, she tells him to, to keep the hanky. Maybe it will bring him luck. And then Garrett brings over a soda to celebrate the new outfielder, a.k.a. JT, uh, and provokes him. JT shoves him. And I love... How Garrett looks actually legitimately surprised. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what? <laughs> I don't know. Shane McDermott was not expecting that shove, perhaps. I love it. It's so it was, good. It was great. We get this nose-to-nose standoff between the two of them. And then we cut back to Jimmy and Callie, who are acting like this isn't happening 20 feet away from yeah. them. <laughs> Callie's trying to make it clear to Jimmy that she likes him, but without coming around out and saying it, because, like, you know, in eighth grade, you just didn't say that. Right. Um, but he still thinks she's into Barrick, which, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Uh, also, Jimmy is definitely using both his regular hand and his hurt arm to work on this bike part. Yeah. <laughs> but when he gets done, <laughs> Callie goes, you fixed it with one hand. No, Callie. No. no. <laughs> and then Jimmy, very inappropriately, says... Yeah, rub it in. Why don't you tell me all the things Barrick can do with two hands? Oh my gosh. Whoa, Jimmy. That's gross. Oh, God. Uh, Callie rightfully chews him out for being a mopey dick and ditches him. Well done, Callie. That's what he deserves. Yep. We cut back to Glory and JT and Garrett. And Glory cuts in between JT and Garrett before it comes to blows. And this is when I realized she is so much shorter than they are. <laughs> She's like, tiny. she is very small. <laughs> She's very, very tiny. Garrett immediately presses Glory into one of his schemes and literally drags her away by the arm while she casts a patented Glory sad eyes look at JT, being hauled away by her brother. She's like, wah, wah, wah. It's and, very sad. And we cut back to Jimmy. Uh, now making his snakes expand on the table. Yep. Is that mm-hmm. a thing? That's a that, thing. Okay, yep. great. Well done. Jimmy finally figured out how to properly make a snake. Yep. Uh, JT sits across uh, from Jimmy, shows him a... Here, I do not understand what happens here. And maybe, maybe it's because I was homeschooled. But JT shows Jimmy a rock, a small yellow rock tied to a straw paper. And Jimmy says, Garrett... Question mark. JT Nons put puts it into his soda and blows bubble. <laughs> I have no idea what just happened. So it's hard to see because this is not like we're all used to HDTV in this day and age, but it's actually a gummy bear. So he has tied a straw paper around the neck of the gummy bear. So it's like an effigy of Garrett. He is hanging oh. Garrett an effigy. Yeah. So so he puts this high fructose wicker man into a glass of Coke and then blows bubbles in it to symbolically to symbolically drown Garrett. So this is some more sorcery shit from Jimmy. I guarantee it. Jimmy told him to do this. Oh, definitely. Yeah, this is some warlock nonsense. (laughs) They made a poppet, basically. So Neil comes in. JT reveals that he has crashed and burned in the matter of the baseball game. Neil tries to cheer him up and reveals a new letter, which is confirmation that the equation they sent to the Rodavian Institute proved out. So yay, they did it. They did a science thing, but also... 
This is maybe 15 minutes after the previous scene with them. Oh, definitely. How did they prove this equation out that soon and then get a letter to them? Can I also ask, what's going on with the Swans baseball team uniforms? (laughs) What indeed? Because some of them appear to have swans written across them and pinstripes. And some of them just appear to be like a baseball shirt with like white shirt and black sleeves. And I'm very confused about this design choice because it does not seem consistent. And so I wonder when they take the field, do, is is there a uniform discrepancy? Do some of the do some of the kids not get the full uniform? Um, as far as I can remember, they do all end up with the full uniform. I think these are supposed to like JT's supposed to have like basically what amounts to an undershirt for baseballing. I okay. I don't know though. All right. <laughs> Who knows what's going an on? Undershirt for baseballing. Okay. So the boys toast Professor Van, but then we see the Baldies, who have figured out that Professor Van is a quote parallel gathering from several different science sectors simultaneously mm-hmm. i don't know i know what all those words mean individually i do not know what they mean in whole and i do not know <laughs> how they figured this out there is a very strange phrenology bust on the table between the baldies we have never seen this bust before <laughs> um and one baldy rests a hand on it and it says one man working on his own only weeks away from perfecting ub be Maybe a lucky accident. Not so lucky for him. And then the camera zooms in on the bust just as the baldy taps its nose. It's so creepy. I'm not sure what that bust is supposed to represent, (laughs) but I do like that it gets a nose boop. Yep. (laughs) We're back to Sydney. Yes, in her bedroom. And Glory, apparently the task Garrett had for her is that Glory had to deliver the news that Garrett will pitch... Sydney's stoked because now they're going to win. Confidence about winning is high. Very very high. high. Sydney is wearing the all-white outfit she wore in her fantasy sequence. And (laughs) Glory tells Sydney, he told me to have you wear your high-heeled sneakers. Newport's doomed. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) What are these high-heeled sneakers? They're so ugly. Sydney tells Glory that if she wins, she has to walk off the field with Garrett in front of everyone. And then she says... What if once I do that, he doesn't like me anymore? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Glory's like, nonsense, you and Garrett were made for each other, which is true. They're both crazy schemers. Yeah. And she says, everyone except my mother, anyway, wish me luck. And then, (laughs) da da da, Muffy comes in asking about the good luck thing. Yeah, and Sydney just says, oh, about the game. And, and Muffy's like, well, you're not playing. And she's kind of thinking fast. And she's like, oh, I, I have a bet riding on it. And Muffy's like, since when do you bet money on sporting events? They just go down this weird little rabbit hole before Muffy's like, this is not important. Yeah. I'm here to tell you something. And that's my favorite thing that authors do when they take <laughs> they take 20 seconds, 20 to 40 seconds to go down a rabbit hole. One of the characters goes, this was unimportant. You did not need this information. Yeah, we have some um, some colloquialisms for that in the in the writing world. We either call it the Expositron 5000 or or we call it... As you know, Bob. (laughs) As you know, Bob. As you know, Bob. This happens. (laughs) It's like, Bob's like, yes, I knew that. Now back to our regularly scheduled thing. It's just a way to convey information 
to the reader for no apparent reason. Right. This is why Bob should not be from around here. Bob yeah. should be a new person. That Bob's, way they did not know. Exactly. That's how you solve that problem. Muffy says <laughs> she wants to talk to her about something, so Glory kind of takes off. Which, interesting, by the way, Muffy has no problem with Glory Booth. Apparently she only hates the male members of the Booth clan. Because she's very friendly with Glory. There's a lot of people who hate male members. <laughs> True. Can't blame them. <laughs> Muffy says she's got a plan that's going to change Sydney's entire life. <clears throat> Sydney mm -hmm. is like, great, I'm ready for changes in my life. Muffy has come up with a project for the youth of Swan's Crossing. And Sydney's going to chair it. Yes. And, I... and she's going to become a symbol of leadership to young people everywhere yeah. by chairing this project in her okay. small town. Before we, before we get to the, the final important thing in this episode... When when in your life did you realize that like project or event chairs or like board chairs were a thing? Um, probably when I got roped into being one. So probably somewhere in my late twenties. That's kind of what I thought. Like I don't think I think maybe people who were in student government got it a little earlier. Yeah. But definitely not middle school. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like. I, I would not have had any idea what they were talking about. I mean, maybe if your mom's the mayor of a town, maybe you've heard... If you grew up in government, that's a possibility. Sure. Okay. Side note over, if we can move on. Yes. Uh, she's going to be a symbol... As you know, as you know Libby. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to become a symbol of leadership to young people everywhere, and Sydney's like, I'm stoked, tell me more. Muffy says, no, you have to wait and find out the details along with everyone else. At the game. So, first of all, why did she bother to have this conversation then if she wasn't going to say anything? Yeah, yeah. And then Sydney says, you're going to the game? It's the best reaction shot. <laughs> Looks directly at the camera and panicked. And end credits. Yes. It's so good. So great. It's she so is good. terrified. And Sarah Michelle Geller does such a great panic face, too. She does. I mean, I think this is the best Sydney is panicking that we freeze on out of all the episodes. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Oh, yeah. So, that's the episode. Who do you think is our psychopath of the week? I, oh, that's, that's tough. There's, I'm going to have to go with Jimmy. Because he, he just, he all over the place. Yeah. Maybe Callie for the way that she describes Barrick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's but, like, but he has eyes like yours when you smile <laughs> to Jimmy. Like, what? <laughs> eyes like the sea before a storm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah, I would have to say Jimmy is really kind of, he, he's a little out of line with his weird uh, sexual innuendos to Callie. So. The other the other possibility is is Sydney's weird fever dream. But I, I don't feel like that's psychopathic just as as much as it is just like, this is what you do when you're a teenager. Yeah, I would, I would have to say that's right. You have a right. rich fantasy life. I did definitely sit around a lot listening to music and fantasizing about how things were going to go with various people I had crushes on. Never worked out that way, but I did a lot of thinking about it. Yeah. Um, swan count. Yeah, we got two new fake swans, bringing our running count to one imaginary swan, 24 actual swans, and 47 other swans. Nice. Did you include Muffy's pin in your fake swan I did count? not. So we got three oh, new fake swans. Oh my gosh. I was not paying enough attention this yeah, episode to the swan count. Yeah, she's got a hideous swan brooch on. Brooch. So. <laughs> okay, do your predictions. The next, next week is the 15th episode 
which means that it's the Friday of the third week. So it's a big episode, and we're going to get uh, uh, big information. So uh, we're going to get to the baseball game. We're not going to see how the baseball game plays out, because we're not going to find out who wins, who loses, because Muffy's big announcement is going to so rock the town that it's going to seem unimportant by comparison. So Sydney never ends up having to make a decision about whether to go on the field and hold hands with Garrett, because it's not, we don't even get to that point. Whatever Muffy decides or has the announcement about is going to severely affect Sydney and Garrett's ability to see each other. Uh, I think Jimmy's going to show up and remain sullen. I think Barrick is going to show up and he and Callie are going to have more like weird sexual chemistry and that Jimmy's going to see this and it's going to cause more tension. And Mila's also going to be there. And I think Grant Booth makes an appearance because his son is pitching in the big game. And I think there's probably like a trio in the stands. Well, no, Jimmy, or no, sorry, uh, JT and Neil are going to be on the field. So I think it's, there's a lot of shots of the girls on the sidelines describing what's happening in the baseball game. <laughs> like they did for 4th of July. No, I don't actually think that, but that would be funny. <laughs> and that's, that's what I've got. I don't think we're going to get a lot of the Baldies in the next episode. I don't think we're going to get any Owen or Sandy. Uh, and there... Maybe next episode is the episode where we figure out Barrick is an FBI agent. Maybe. Uh, and you also said you did not have any ideas about what Muffy's big project I don't be. have any ideas unless, I think I said, unless the, the town children are going to be reconstituting the town records. <laughs> Yes. Well, yeah, that's a, we'll see next week how, how your predictions pan out. And uh, until then, I hope all of you, wait, no, no, I'm not going to say that because we got to do our sign outs. Listen, guys, I'm real tired because as those of you who followed me on Twitter know, at Gotta Grow Up Pod, um, I had a drunk drive through my, my garden and wreck up a significant portion of my property. You, so <laughs> I just want to clarify, you had a drunk driver. Yes. You didn't drive your own car drunk through your garden. No. Because that's what it did sound like. I did not drive my car drunk through my yard or anywhere else. I do not drive intoxicated. I wish that were the case for everyone because the guy who smashed my shit up with his Suburban definitely did. Um, so I'm a little tired because I've been dealing with insurance companies forever. But anyway, uh, follow us on social media at Gotta Grow Up Pod on Twitter and at Swans Cross Pod on Instagram. Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometime, from the hit show Swans Crossing. <laughs> and until next week... Uh, may all your snakes expand appropriately. Tell me all the things this barrack can do with two hands. <laughs> <laughs>